Hey, tonight is a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to be taking uh, the next little moment to talk about uh, something that uh, you all want us to talk about. Right? It's, it's that thing that it's like, you know, I've been in ministry, I've been kind of serving at church, and, and I've got to be honest, there probably wouldn't be a week in the last maybe 14, 15 years that uh, the issue of relationships, of dating, of who likes me and do I like them, the, the, the twos and the fros and the awkwardness and the chaos and the dysfunction uh, of relationships isn't part of my weekly routine as, as a pastor. And uh, so what I want to do tonight for the next little moment is talk about what you want me to talk about, which is you and your relationships. And so what I want to do uh, as we jump into this tonight, I want to talk about love, dates, and heartbreaks. And uh, before we jump in, just so that I know who's in the room tonight, uh, how many people here married? You're just, you're married, fantastic. How many people dating? Okay. How many people single in the room? All right. Fantastic. Well, now you know, and I'm already helpful. Fantastic. It's already been a helpful night for you all. You're like, good. It makes so much sense. Fantastic. Um, hey, uh, I've been, like I said, uh, you know, walking with people, walking with many of you for the last, I don't know how, how long, and I have watched people make bad decisions, be stuck in indecisions, make the same poor decision twice, over and over again. And so what I want to do tonight is really just stop and, and, and have a conversation. This is more of a pastoral chat. Usually what I would like to do is just grab a little piece of scripture and go deep in, uh, you know, for a, an, an extended period of time. Um, and so tonight, what I want to do, instead of kind of doing what I usually would do, is I want to just have a pastoral conversation in a way that hopefully brings to light some of the things that are common, I guess, to relationships. And it is all about really helping you miss out on some of those poor decision, indecisions, and same decision twices that you continually, you continually make in the area of, of dating and of marriage and of relationships. And so uh, really what I want to do tonight is not deep dive into one any, or any one area, but give you 10 truths about relationships from kind of a 30,000 foot level and more give you coordinates for you to do the deep dive, right? I, I just want to kind of point you in the direction for you to have conversations, for you if you are dating, for you to maybe spark a conversation about one of these 10 things. If you are married, have a longer conversation. It's probably going to be in the car. If you are single, have a chat to some of your friends around these ideas because I'm not going to have a an opportunity to go deep into any one of these, but more just give you coordinates for you to have a conversation about it yourself. Is that cool? Fantastic. So uh, here we go. 10 truths about relationships, uh, spots for you to investigate. And Because uh, here's the thing. It's weird out there, guys. Uh, what I've discovered uh, talking to you, it's getting weird. Um, it's getting hard. And it's difficult, right? There are so many, so many people having so many conversations around how to navigate this thing. Like, how do you begin to date now? Right? That's different. I, I, like, I had my last first date about 15 years ago. Um, and, and so I get it. It's changed out there. Uh, but how, so, like, it's a, it's a different day, right? How do you start to date? Do you just slide into somebody's DMs? You know, you up. Um, do you jump on an app and swipe? And if swiping isn't holy enough for you, maybe you jump on Christian Mingle. So your dating has got the anointing. Maybe, maybe if, if dating apps aren't your thing, maybe you jump into a life group, put on your holy cologne, and answer every question. Maybe you jump on a serve team and show out how many chairs you can lift. Right? Wait, there are so many ways now to jump into the dating scene and it's getting so weird. Maybe you want to do what I did, uh, which is just walk up to a girl that you've been interested in for a fair while, be like, hey, do you want to be my girlfriend? Freak out that you asked that question and run away. 
Maybe you want to do what she did and stalk that person long enough that they feel like they have to ask that question. Oh, um, maybe, I, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but it is getting hard. Um, and then it's like after you've been on a date, you know, in church, after one date, do we have to get married now? How many dates until, you know, in church, are we like, are we, you know, are we a thing now? Can you go on a date? All of these questions, it's getting hard to navigate out there. Um, maybe if you, if you want, um, uh, Nate, can you come feel this? Just feel that. Do you feel that? Do you feel that? This boyfriend material. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe you need a line. Like, I don't know. It's getting harder and harder to navigate the relationship. If you want to use that, go for it. Do you guys like raisins? How about a date? Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Maybe you're a 9 out of 10 and I'm the one you're looking for. Don't use that because then you're a 1 and a 9 would never be... Don't worry about it. Um, but here's the thing. Everybody, as confusing as it's getting, everybody has on their mind, how do I navigate this confusing moment well? Right? That's, that's the question. How do I navigate... This confusing area of relationships, dating, marriage, singleness, well. And so what I want to do tonight, just give you 10 truths uh, that can kick off some conversations. So number one, here is the first truth. It is this, love is breathtaking. This is it. A lot of the time, especially when we jump in and as we're about to kind of navigate this conversation, a lot of the times the idea of love, especially in Christianity and especially in the church, is the kind of love that we're talking about is some Ned Flanders Crocs and Socks looking parody of the kind of love that you can experience if you're a little more adventurous somewhere else. But here is the truth. Here is the first truth. Love is breathtaking. It is Mind-blowing. And, and, and what is crazy about love is the God that we serve does not say that he's interested in love, about love, or kind of just all about love. No, no, no. He says, I am love. Which is to say that every single glimpse, every great story, every Taylor Swift song is but a foretaste, a glimpse of just the corner of his garment, the kind of love that he has in him. And so what is important is from the very get-go, when we start to talk about love and dating and sexuality and all of these things, do not think for a moment that because we are choosing to do it God's way, it is a lesser form of love than what is available out there. We actually are choosing to take our lead from the divine source of love and entering into a story of love that extends before us, will be there behind us, and we get to participate in this mind-blowing, breathtaking form of love in the here and now. So what I want you to know from the get-go, before we jump into anything else, is this. That the kind of love that is available, the kind of love that I have experienced in my life, the kind of love that I know is available for you in all of its many ways, whether you are single for the rest of your life, and the kind of love that you can uh, enjoy from a community of people, it is breathtaking. And it's better than anything that you could try and get by experientially seeking it out, divorced from the source itself. Love is breathtaking. Here's the second one, though. Here's, here's the, it's tough. Um, first one, love is breathtaking. The second truth about love and dating is this. You are going to be in all your relationships. Yeah, you're like, wow, are we, are we paying for that? No. Um, Here's the thing, you are, you, you're going to be in all of your relationships, and, and this is a foundational truth. Um, we love to fantasize, we live in a culture that loves to fantasize about finding the one, rather than doing the work of becoming the one. We fantasize about finding the one. We, we dream about the kind of person that exists out there and we do everything to find the one at the expense of doing the work of becoming the one. Andy Stanley says it like this, do the work to become the one the person you're looking for is looking for. 
Right? It's, it's far less a matter of trying to find this perfect person and you doing the work yourself to bring in a whole person so that whatever dysfunction, whatever craziness, whatever uh, just like emotional drama filled thing that you're hoping isn't in their life, if you enter into it with it in your life, it's still going to be there. This is, this is heartbreaking and I wish that I didn't have to say it. I wish it wasn't a truth, but this is a truth. You will be in every one of your relationships. And what is so important about this is we need to uh, look at ourselves with a little bit of self-awareness. Let me, let me say it like this from Galatians 3. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each should carry their own load. Let me say it this way. You are responsible for you. I watch so often, time and time again, especially in young adults, we are in an age that is determined to find a perfect person without doing the work of self-evaluation, self-healing, self-growth enabled by the Spirit, mind you. This isn't just a you do, you get good in yourself. Becoming the kind of person that Christ has made you to be so that you are not dragging in the kind of drama you're hoping they're not bringing in themselves. And, and, and it's wild because we're looking for the one, that low maintenance, little drama, health's in order, money's in order, not insecure, not emotional. If it, it, we, We're looking for that kind of person. And if they aren't bringing it in, but it's still there, this is the truth. Maybe it's on your shoe. If every relationship you go into, you, you've, done the, you, you've been looking and, you know, at first glance, there wasn't drama. At first glance, there wasn't high emotions. At first glance, there wasn't insecurity and there wasn't dysfunction. But in every relationship you're in, it seems to arrive. I would perhaps encourage you to have a look in the mirror. Because here's the thing, you're going to be in every relationship that you are in. You are your responsibility. And here's the other truth of it. You attract what you are far more than what you want. You attract what you are more than what you want. Right? And and, and so uh, we live in a time, again... Uh, where everybody is looking for that one kind of person at the, uh, you know, at almost a disregard, and, and I'm not, I'm saying sweeping generalizations about other locations. Um, and so, I know this isn't a Brisbane PM thing. I'm just these are truths. This isn't directed at anyone. But here's the thing: we 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 want to. We live in a time, and it's like, you know. If I can just fix that person, if I can sort out the stuff that's going on in their life, and, and then if I can make sure that they've got their ducks in a row, and they're looking just fine, and their emotions are all fixed up, and I haven't done what Scripture tells me to do and carried my own load, there is still going to be a deficit that no relationship was ever designed to carry. And, and, and it's like, I want, I want, you know, I want Shogaboo with the swimmer's bod, you know, whatever, I don't know. I want, I, you know, I want that. I want that mighty man of God. I want my Boaz. I want my. I want my man who's just going. He's going to be like. He's going to be a spiritual leader. I want somebody that's going to like carry. He's going to be the head of this house. He's going to be, you know, a spiritual just dynamo. He's going to be following God. He's going to be like a Jesus guy. But in every other area of my life, I don't put Jesus first in my life. Can I tell you that Boaz? is going to be looking for somebody that can carry what God has put on them into the world together. You will attract what you are far more than what you want. And so I want to encourage you, take stock, take a minute. And again, this is not meant to be accusationary at all. This is just a fundamental truth about relationships that before you go running in, needing a relationship, stop and ask the Holy Spirit, what do I need to do right now? What do you need to do right now in my life so that when I enter into a relationship, I can enter into it in health? So that I can bring what that person needs more than I'm looking for what that person can do for me. Which it leads me to point number three. A person will not complete you. Jerry Maguire 
uh, Tom Cruise, Renee Zellweger. It's like, there, it's like, you complete me. And it sounds so romantic, right? Sounds beautiful. Unfortunately, crazy wrong. Um, Because here's the thing. If you need somebody to do for you something they were never designed to do or able to do or sufficient to do, you will use them as a commodity more than a person they were designed to be. So if we, if we enter into a relationship, and, and, and I'm not just talking about entering into a relationship, but if at some point in our journey, even in marriages, we watch this happen, something begins to eat away at our identity and we begin to look to somebody to complete us and do for us something they were never designed to do, then they end up being a commodity to be used rather than a person to be enjoyed. And I want to encourage us that a person will never... Complete you. If you, want to ha- if you want to be happy and married, you have to start secure and single. If you want to have a quality of friendship, a healthy relationship, where we aren't looking for the relationship to fulfill you, you have to start with an identity and a fulfillment that exists in Christ alone. See, a person could never do for you what Christ alone can do for you. See, it's hilarious that I'm saying this. I am perhaps the most interdependent person on the face of the earth. Brioni and I have been together since, you know, uh, I was 17, 18, 18, mum. And we've kind of, we've grown up, like we've been together, um, you know, for, for that length of time and we've kind of grown into each other. But there have been moments, if I'm completely transparent, that we have uh, morphed or I personally have warped into not an interdependence but uh, or, uh, you know, an I'll serve you and you serve me, but a codependence that I cannot work without you. And even within a long-term, very healthy relationship, when I look to Bree to fulfill me and my identity, she ceases to be able to be all that she is called to be by God. And it begins, even within marriage, we watch uh, time and time again, and maybe you've experienced this, or maybe you've watched somebody do this in their own world, that they begin to date somebody, or they begin to look at somebody to complete them and do for them what only Jesus can do. Can I encourage you with this? Single is a whole number. You are not less than because you are single. You are not unwhole because you were saying, no, 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 you and Jesus are the way that God has made you to be. You can be who God has made you to be without somebody else fulfilling it in you. Because here is, here is a crazy truth that an insecure person, maybe you've watched a friend date somebody like this. Maybe you've been in a relationship like this. Maybe you've been this person in a relationship. An insecure person will expect more And settle for less. An insecure person will expect more from a relationship and settle for less. An insecure person, a person that needs somebody, is always needing outside reassurance. Needing, not enjoying, but needing validation. Has to have somebody to feel like they're somebody. Runs the risk. If they're constantly in need of somebody to be somebody, you run the risk of settling for anyone. And I want to encourage you with this idea that if you need a girlfriend, if right now you need a boyfriend, it may be time for you to hit pause on that quest. If right now you can't see yourself as a whole person without somebody else, maybe it's time for you to hit pause and allow God to begin to speak into your spirit about the fullness that you have in Him. We need to be secure in our identity in Christ, counter to the cultural messages of the day that say that you will never be whole without your soulmate. You'll never be somebody without somebody. I want to encourage you that marriage, marriage does not complete you. Married, getting married will not just magically make you a better person. In fact, it will place one person with you to make sure you do the work of investigating all the stuff you got to work on. 
Right? It's like if you're an insecure person and if you've got stuff that you need to work on and then you move in together and you have a different opinion of where the spoons in your house should be in the cutlery drawer and they don't agree with you, it could be earth-shaking. It can be just like it can rock your world. But I want to encourage you, don't need somebody. Marriage will not solve that hole in your heart. Jesus alone will do that. For you, it says this in Colossians 2, verse 9. Uh, uh, For in Christ, the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been bought to fullness. Marriage will not fill you. A person will not fill you. Dating will not fill you. Christ alone will fill you. Only Jesus completes you. Point number four, be where you are. Be where you are. Paul writes his letter to... This group of people in a church in Corinth, and I, he, he writes to these people and he says this. This is crazy. He says that I wish all of you were as I am. This is a man that is single. He says, but each of you has your own gift from God. You know what that says? Singleness is a gift. Some of you are maybe thinking, where's the receipt? I would like to exchange said gift. But he says, Each of you has your own gift. One has this gift, another has that. Singleness is a gift. But Paul goes on and writes throughout that whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, if you want to investigate this for yourself. He begins to go on and he begins to point out that it's like, hey, if you're single and you find Jesus, you don't need somebody. You don't need a somebody to pull you into a higher level of what it is to be a Christian. Then he says to the married people, hey, if you're married, you don't have to get divorced so that you can have a higher version of the experience of Jesus. If you're a slave right now and you have no prospects, if you're a eunuch, you have no prospects of ever finding love like this. You don't need something else to have a greater experience of God. No, no, no. Paul is saying that, hey, wherever it is that you find yourself meeting Jesus, be there. Because marriage is not your highest purpose in life. Singleness is not a more noble pursuit. Engagement is not purgatory. No, no, no. Paul is saying, wherever you're at, your purpose is never these relationships. Your purpose was always wholehearted devotion to Him. And so wherever it is that you find yourself, don't Go rushing off trying to be in the next phase of life so that there you will be happy. No, no. Paul is saying, wherever you find yourself, be there fully. And wholeheartedly pursue him in that season. Be wholly devoted to Christ. Be fully present in the season that you're in. We, we have this conversation so many times. You know, People come into our house and we're talking to them. It's usually they're dating and then they're in a rush. And I was in a rush to get married. In a rush to get engaged. Then you're engaged and you're in a rush to get married. If you're single, you're in a rush to find that person. And you're never fully present to the season that you're in. And because of that, you miss the gift of that season that you find yourself in. If you're single, let me tell you, there is a gift to singleness that it's sometimes really hard to see. Sometimes it's really hard to make out the gift that is singleness. But what God has given to you in this moment while you're single is you have the opportunity to go deep with a lot of people in a way that will be be removed from you the moment that you start dating. It'll change again the moment that you're married. But you have the opportunity to have a community around you unlike you'll have at any other point in your life. When you're dating, you have the joy of having every time that you hang out be an active time of company. But it's like you chose, you made a decision to come and hang out together. And then you're going to have to say goodbye and wave goodbye and there's that searing pain. It's like, you just go, just leave, just let's go home. It's tough, let's go. You'll never have that opportunity again unless you're engaged. And you won't have a moment in your life again where, where you know that this is the end of life as you know it for this moment. So be present. Enjoy what it is that's going on. Then you get married, and marriage has this 
security blanket. It has this wondrous thing of having a constant companion, somebody that is in covenant relationship to you. And there's something available to you in marriage that is available nowhere else. But if you are constantly hoping to get to the next phase, you'll miss the gift of the moment that you are in. Speaking of those moments, number five, dating is not evil. All right, so if you are single, converge on the middle. Um, and, and like I said before, it seems like this whole space is getting more and more difficult to navigate. Conflicting messages, it feels like everywhere you look, maybe, maybe you, you had a pastor and, and you're in this place and you're like, how do I navigate? I, I want to... I want to find somebody and I just, I'm trying to figure out how do I begin that. And there are so many different voices. Maybe you had a youth pastor or a conservative auntie tell you, you can court, but you can't date because dating's not in the Bible. Then you jump onto the bachelor and the bachelor tells you, fall in love with everybody, date casually, have your heart given to five people, give a rose to two people, fall in love to one person, and then have it all end three months after. Then you jump on, on, on to... You know, a sermon series, and then the pastor there is telling you, hey, if you want to find that special person, write a list and begin to pray over it. And then you jump on to the next sermon, and that guy's telling you to tear up your list. <laughs> now you're trying to, like, like, laminate back together a list that you don't know that you shouldn't have, and it's just, it's confusing. Then it's like you've got friends telling you you should jump on an app. Then you've got other friends telling you you can't use an app because you're not trusting God. Here's the thing. Dating is not evil. Let me go a step further. Dating, going on dates, is not the same as playing. But let me say this. Don't be a player. Um, or say it another way. Don't be weird. Just don't be, don't be, don't be weird when it comes to going on dates. See, a player sees relationships as a game to win, not a person to know. And so when you go, and please, I would like, you know what would make me so happy is after tonight, somebody just has the courage to go up and invite somebody for a burger at Betty's. Yeah. Get one of those little concrete shakes. They're delicious. Here's the thing, if you go on that date tonight after the service and you are just looking at that experience as a game to win and not an opportunity for a person to know you run the risk of leaving them in your wake. So I want to encourage you, go on dates. There's no other way to get to know somebody. It's the best way, like the opportunity to sit down and begin to get to know somebody. And, and friends, can I just help you out? Dating is not evil, but it's weird if the bar is this high. If after one date you don't fight, you don't have to get married. Right? This is just an opportunity for you to get to know somebody. So stop putting so much stress on going on a date. Find somebody that you're interested in getting to know. Lower the pressure. Don't make it more than it is, but don't see them as a game to win, but a person to honor. If you are honoring of people of their time, of their hearts, of their value, I promise you can navigate dating well. Speaking of online dating, um, just some tidbits, some helpful hints. Um, online dating was not really a thing. It didn't have to do it. Again, Brioni stalked me online, so she kind of did. Um, but here, here, are just, here are some tips about navigating. Um, I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. Um, I, want a, I want it to be a joke. Um, but here, here, are some, here are some tips about uh, online dating. Uh, number one, uh, if you want to throw that up on the screen. Number one, ask for wisdom. Don't put all of your trust in an algorithm. Scripture tells us in James 1, if any of you lack wisdom, ask for wisdom and he will give it to you. So when you are using whatever platform, whatever means to find somebody, ask first for wisdom in how to navigate it. Step two, suggestion two, again, just a suggestion, slow down. Apps are, de uh, are designed entirely to encourage speed. 
And because they are designed to encourage speed, they encourage you to forego many of the natural rhythms of normal dating. So when it comes to online dating, by all means, just do, like, have wisdom, have discernment, take it slower, go through the natural rhythms of getting to know somebody. Step three, don't be superficial. There are more options than ever before, and you run the risk of constantly looking for that next person who might have higher stats, higher XP, better teeth, better abs, better job, better money, better family history. I don't know what lineage you're looking at. But you run the risk of constantly looking for somebody that can outdo the last one. And so don't be superficial. Look at more than just the profile. Look at their heart. And lastly, pray. Ultimately, God loves you and has a plan and something great for you. Again, like I said, love is breathtaking. He, he has this plan that he wants you to step into a world that you get to experience a greater dynamic of his love, of who he is in this incredible way. Pray. Encourage God to be part of that journey. Number six, we'll race through uh, a couple of these. Number, number six, uh, boundaries aren't outdated. Fantastic. Uh, we, we're yet to, and I'm a fan of, uh, a fan of sports, um, <laughs> uh, just sports, um, but I'm yet to watch a game of basketball that, you know, in the progressive society that we're in, them go, hey, you know what, we've actually progressed, we've leveled up, we're, we're in this place now that we no longer need lines on the court. No, 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 because boundaries establish the grounds of play. Boundaries establish the rules of the game. And, and we haven't yet reached a point that Scripture and the God of the universe has gone like, actually, we need to send out a revised edition just so that it's a little more aware of the world that we're in. No, no, no. Boundaries establish the rules of play. We have not progressed past a point that Scripture did not foresee. And what... Scripture does in the area of boundaries, and I'm not just talking about sexual boundaries, I'm not just talking about purity, but I'm talking about who you are choosing, the kind of person that you are choosing, and the area of your heart that you are going to determine what is and what is not allowed in. That goes to the way that you are willing to be talked to. Goes to the way that you are willing to be communicated with. It goes to the way that you are willing to allow people to ghost you or not. Establish the rules of play. And as we discover, Scripture has much to say about the kind of person that you truly are. And when we use his description of you, you actually get a picture of the boundaries that he has designed for you to thrive in. Boundaries are not designed to hold you back from a greater experience of love. No, they are designed to establish the bounds from which humanity was designed to thrive in. And they describe where it is and what is and isn't okay for our very well-being. And what I have discovered is when we discover this, boundaries are best discovered more than just defined. But when we discover and then make the choice or the decision to be obedient and be led by those boundaries. I found it a lot easier in my life. I mean, we were dating from 18 to 21, right at the height of puberty. Well, let's be real, my puberty hit me in the chest at like 26. But (laughs) dating, dating as a teenager, friends, if you leave it up to each and every moment to decide how you're going to act in any given moment, you run the risk of making poor decisions time after time. What I've discovered is a lot easier is deciding in the cool of the day rather than the heat of the night. And so when you come up to a moment that your willpower is tested, you don't have to make a decision about this given moment. You just have to decide, am I going to stay true to the decision that I've made? This is in every area. Talk about it in partying. Talk about it in alcohol. Talk about it in purity. Talk about it in in your communication. Do not make decision after decision based on any given circumstance. Decide on who God says you are and choose, am I in this moment going to be who he said I am in that moment rather than what am I going to do tonight? Next one. Virginity is not the same as purity. However, it was always designed to be the fruit of purity. 
Virginity is not the same as purity. I know a lot of lust-crazed virgins. And I would not look at them and have a conversation with them and say, wow, what a pure young man. Because they haven't crossed any physical boundaries or they haven't stepped over or done a certain act. Wow, they are pure in heart. And Jesus said, this is, not, this is way less about what it is that you do with your body and way more to do with the posture of your heart. So purity is always designed in the New Testament to be an orientation of your heart to say, God, I want to honor you with my body. I want to honor you in the way that I think, talk, and act in this mortal body. And and I have known plenty of lust-filled virgins, but I have known heaps of devoted, gloriously pure, healed and whole people that have come to Jesus after very many varied sexual encounters. So do not conflate virginity with purity, and I would also say do not conflate purity with salvation. We came through a season wherein, if you are pure, if you just don't do a certain few acts, and God loves you more. No, no, no. God loves you because He made you. God loves you because He has destiny and purpose and identity formed up for you. And if you fall short in this area, friends, can I tell you, He who sins against Himself, sins against His own body, there is a shame that comes upon you. There is a way that it tears at you. But do not conflate that with His love for you. Do not conflate, if I fall short in this area, there's no coming back for me. No, no, no. Purity and salvation and virginity are not the same. We have to make sure that we get those things in order. We're going to talk on this uh, in, in, in a couple of weeks in a real big way. But listen, there is a push to do away with any idea that relates at all to purity. But can I tell you, God is way too interested in you to be divorced from this idea People online are like, wow, God cares a lot about what young adults or teenagers are doing in their bedrooms. Yeah, because God cares about them too much to ignore it. Virginity is not the same as purity. Number eight, honesty leads to life. Honesty leads to life. Friends, all relationships are built on trust. That confidence that that person or that somebody that you know is going to act, react, speak or think in a consistent way with who you know them to be. It's like, I, I, I just know that's just, you know, Blake did something. Somebody comes to me. It's like, well, I, just, I know Blake. He wouldn't do that kind of thing. Why? Because I trust Blake. And we can have a relationship that is built on trust. Every dating relationship is built on trust. Every marriage is built on trust that they are going to care for us, steward us, look after us in a certain kind of of way, but here's the deal. In life, things come up. In life, things happen. Things occur. Maybe you fall short. Maybe you make a mistake. Maybe you, you are in the heat of a moment and something happens that is short of the person that somebody expects you to be. Here's what I have discovered time after time after time. To fall short, to make a mistake, as painful it is, as it is, as hurtful as it is, as confusing and the consequences that come with it may be, making a mistake is okay, but dishonesty is not. Making a mistake is okay, but dishonesty is not. You've seen this in work. Hey, I made a mistake. I made some calculations. They were wrong. I, you know, I messed up. I, I didn't turn up there. Pretending that you didn't will break trust way more than getting it wrong. And the same is true in dating. Friends, the same is true in marriage, the same is true in friendships, that falling short happens. Being dishonest about it wrecks relationships. Say it this way, lies destroy relationships. And here's what I would encourage every person to do. Don't just have honesty as a guardrail at the bottom of the cliff. Put it at the top of the hill so that you can have these honest conversations. Say, hey, man, I'm, I'm really struggling. Maybe, maybe some stuff is going on in, in my world and it's making me stressed. And I know that when I've been stressed in the past, it's led me to look at some, some things. Having that conversation at the top of the hill will prevent you and oftentimes leads to a place of freedom that will lead to life. So can I encourage you, what if we became the kind of people that said honesty is our policy? We will choose to take the honest path even before we make the mistake. I've watched as lies have just put a wrecking ball through relationships of whole community, whole friend groups, as people have made a mistake that would have been forgivable in a moment. But the journey back gets so much bigger when we cannot trust 
the words that they're saying. Proverbs 12 says this, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. The writer is saying there is like, it might feel like lying is going to get you out of this, in this moment. Can I tell you, if, if, when you lie in this moment, as, as much as it feels like it might get you out of trouble now, it will lead to ruin in the long term. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Friends, can we take the honest path? Those secrets that you feel like will just destroy everything, what if you begin to share them before they have the opportunity to be found out? What if we became the truth-telling community that said, hey, I'm going to be safe enough for you to tell me what's going on? Because we cannot have a trust-filled, truth-telling community that isn't hiding things if it's unsafe for people to tell us when they mess up. So what if we became, what if you became in your marriage, what if together in every way, shape, and form, we became the kind of place that said, hey, if you just tell the truth, I'm sure we can make it through this. We need to become safe. We need to become the kind of people that say, I will receive you. It's incredible, even... Economically, there is story after story of um, the IRS, which is the American you know, tax service. Um, they did a comparative study between the worst in history of, of tax fraud, tax evasion, people that have just kind of run schemes, done all of these things, and it's like the, the effect on the economy that these big lies have had. And then they compared it to just the nominal fudge that the average person makes on their tax return. Bernie Madoff, all of these people, maybe robbed the economy of up to $1 to $2 billion over their period of time, but the average American, the average community, by just fudging it a little bit, costs on average close to $1 trillion. Friends, can I tell you, we all think when it comes to being honest, it's always just about those big things. It's just like, I've got to come clean about this one massive mistake that I made. No, can I tell you, if truth is eroded wave upon wave, the effect within a community, the effect within a marriage, if lies, tiny lies, tiny mistruths, just falling short of telling the whole story, will have a greater impact on the, on the nature and, and integrity of truth within your relationship. So can I tell you, become a radical truth teller. Not just in the big things, not just like, hey, I messed up and it was spectacular and so I'm feeling free enough to tell you. But it's like, hey, man, you know when I I said that I was home and I, I wasn't? What if we preserved the integrity of the truth by just being radically committed to honesty all the time? Number nine, if the band wants to come. You've got time. Truth number nine. You've got time. There is a, there is a uh, phenomenon that kind of occurs regularly and uh, actually happens almost every year in January um, where we're all like, I'm going to get fit by March. And we jump in, and we get our gym membership, and we go to the gym 15 times a week. You know, three a days, Monday to Friday. And then by about the 7th of January, we're like, this is unsustainable. I can't keep this up. I'm not that even, I'm not interested in gym that much. It's actually hard. Um, I'm done. Friends, can I tell you, consistency beats intensity every day of the week. When it comes to your relationships, consistency beats intensity every day of the week. Rather than trying to just make it happen because the myth that is out there is that time is against you. No, no, no. Time is your friend. Relationships have natural rhythms that if you try and skip past them, you run the risk of falling into a false reality. And so you, t- you, just, do, you can just take a big deep breath. <sighs> you've got time. If you're single, you've got time. 
If you're dating and you want to get married, you've got time. It's okay. I heard it said like this, urgency, especially in the area of single people, urgency is like not showering. You can't see it, but we can tell. It's like if in every area, of every sphere, of every conversation that you are having with somebody is all about how much you just need to find that person. It's like, because time is against me. It's a ticking clock. It's a ticking clock. It's like everything has got to happen. If it's not happening now, do people love me? Am I like, I just, it needs to happen. It needs to happen. Friends, if urgency and panic is your natural speed in relationships sadly I've seen it happen too many times you find you will end up rushing into things you wish you didn't and so can I encourage you just pull your foot off the gas just a little bit in your friendships when you find that new person it's incredible like a puppy it's like they love the same movies I do they're into just the same stuff as me and then you drop every friend that you've ever had and exclusively hang out with that one friend because it's like I, in seven days I can build the kind of relationship that a lifetime has built with these other people. No, no, no. Just be consistent. Just take your time. And dating. You, it's like I love meeting with somebody that's been dating for 30 minutes and it's like we've told each other everything. No, you haven't. You've got like 35 years of life that it will take you 35 years of life to tell them about and by that time another 35 years will have eclipsed. You haven't told them everything. You've got time. Relax. And lastly, every relationship, all relationships, this is a fundamental truth, all relationships are very simply a race to the back of the line. Every relationship is a race to the back of the line. Paul writing in Ephesians uh, Ephesians 5, he begins to lay out marriage as this picture really of of an earthly symbol of what it is, the relationship of Christ to His church is to be reflected in a marriage, a wife to her husband. And he begins to lay it out and he says, Wives, submit to your husbands. And, like, Ugh. and then he goes on and says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. How did He love it? He died. Forsaking himself, forsaking his own personal glory, Philippians 2 says. It's like he gave up everything so that he could come in the form of a man, even a servant to death, even death on a cross, so that he could come and serve. And Paul begins to lay out, hey, hey, if you're going to get married, this is what I want you to picture this whole thing as. Trying to outserve one another. Just constantly be trying to race each other to the back of the line so that you can lift them up, that you can lift their burdens, you can lift their head, you can lift their self-esteem, that whatever it is that they've got going on, try and outdo each other in your lifting of one another. Because this is the image of Christ in His church. It's a race to the back of the line. I've got to be honest, it's a race that I'm happy to let Bree win sometimes. But in day-to-day, in your friendships... Try and outdo how much you can serve rather than how much you can get. When you're dating, don't view them as somebody to just take things from, but how can you speak life? How can you lift their head, lift their self-esteem? We live in the days of self-improvement and I worry that it has morphed into a self-engrossment that has turned all relationships into just a mode of self-fulfillment Paul says no 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 don't do it like that do it like this race each other to the back of the line give yourself so that they can experience life and life to the full 10 foundational truths and do with that whatever you want but here's what I want you to do. I want you to just take a moment right now, wherever you're at, just bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to pray and then worship and then go. Hopefully somebody's going to go to Betty's. And if you see two people just sitting kind of by themselves off for a little bit, don't... Just slap a high five. Make it weird.
God, can we just focus. Father, God, we thank you that you are the God of relationships. God, we thank you that in every way we actually see time and time again folded into the story of our love, of our relationships with our friends, with uh, people that we're interested in, with our marriages, even the way that we relate to our kids. Time and time again we see folded into the story this truth that Jesus, you are the way to do it. And so God, I pray that right now, just while we take a moment, just while we're sitting here, God, I pray that you would speak to every one of us about one of those things. That we can maybe take to somebody, maybe the car ride home, maybe over a shake at Betty's, maybe in our life groups this week, wherever it is, wherever you find yourself. And just say, Holy Spirit, what is it that you want to lead me into? That I can see you made more fully present in me, in others, in the way that we relate to each other. So God, I pray that you would speak to every person. Just while you're speaking to them, God, I wonder if there are people here and you're not somebody that would call themselves a Christian. You're not somebody that would say, you know what, Ryan, I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't even know this whole God thing. It fits me. I want to tell you tonight that Jesus, just like He is interested in your relationships, He is interested in every aspect of you. He wants to see you thrive and He wants to see you live fully alive. The only way that you can do that is admit that you need a Savior. You need Him in your life. And if you've never done that and you want to say, you know what, Ryan, tonight is my night to say, I just need a Savior. It's not a normal message. We normally do it a little different, but maybe you're here tonight because God's been talking to you. Every head bowed and every eye closed just to give you a moment. If tonight you're saying, Ryan, I'm choosing tonight to just say, God, I need you. I need you to save me and forgive me right where I'm at. If that's you, right where you're at, would you just raise your hand? I wonder how many people are on a journey of faith tonight and say, you know what, amazing. Is there anyone else that, amazing. As I'm looking around, there are more and more people just saying, you know what, Ryan, tonight I need to get right with God. If that's you, just one more time across the room, you're saying, Ryan, I just, tonight is my night to say yes. If that's you, you've put your hand up. Would you just place it on your heart right now? We're going to pray and then go out. Can we all pray this prayer together? But if you put your hand up, just make this your own. Jesus. Come on, everybody. Jesus. Jesus. Tonight. Tonight. I say. I say. From my heart. From my heart. That I need you. That I need you. Forgive me. Forgive me. Call me your own. Call me your own. Give me your spirit. Give me your spirit. So that I can follow you. So that I can follow you. Into life. Into life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Can we celebrate people that made that decision?